0: Cool. Well, welcome to the episode of Outliers in Sales and Marketing. I've got an awesome friend here, Nathan Green, who I met really early on in my business career uh, when I was just a college student. And um, I found Nathan to be a pretty remarkable person, pretty interesting person that uh, has an interesting story coming from a consulting background and somewhere where he worked at a really large businesses and was successful in that environment, but decided anyways to jump in the fray as a startup founder and, uh, in my opinion, was really successful at starting multiple organizations. Um, One of them wasn't a company per se. Um, He's a co-founder of the Austin Young Chamber of Commerce, correct? That's right. And I met him while he was running a company called Campus Two Careers, which was basically like this specialized job board for college students to get connected with companies who were, uh, you know, hiring people right out of undergrad. And it was a really valuable experience for me as far as uh, learning about entrepreneurship and how things really look on the ground. And that it can be a lot more messy than it looks in the uh, TechCrunch articles and <laughs> things of that nature and how it looks early on when you're really trying to get something off the ground. I learned some some don'ts. And I learned tons of do's, and it was a valuable experience, I think, for myself, especially, uh, you know, working for Nathan and seeing how he operates. But I think for him as well, and he grew a lot from that and uh, eventually ended up with a successful acquisition and the company turned into a product of a company called SureScore, which is just a half mile away. Mm -hmm. You told me? Yeah. (laughs) Wasn't aware how close our offices are. Um, and now he's the co-founder and VP of growth at the college consortium, uh, has been for the last year and a half. And uh, let's just start there. Um, how'd you end up starting that company and what is the product and what is your role at the college consortium?
1: Yeah, so we are a marketplace of online courses between institutions. So if you think of uh, Uber or Airbnb, they don't own a single uh, taxi or they don't have any property. They're just a marketplace of right now the largest uh, taxi uh, provider and uh, largest uh, you know, reseller of uh, vacation homes. So we look to do the same thing by building a marketplace where institutions can share online courses between one another. And, and really, that's because of an overcapacity. So uh, Concordia and St. Edwards are two schools here in, in Austin. St. Edwards has zero online courses, not a single one. Concordia has 12 fully online programs, and they've got about 60% over capacity, meaning empty seats in their programs. Okay. So uh, through our platform, St. Edwards can find a course uh, that they can enroll their students in and uh, move money uh, from charging their student to paying Concordia for their empty seats. So our system is a broker, an online broker uh, in this marketplace. So my, my role, uh, is to go out and uh, find what we call teaching and enrolling members. Those are schools that have uh, open capacity in their online courses. They have open seats that they want to resell and just generate new revenue. Or enrolling members, schools that don't have the, the online course when the student needs it, which is most institutions today, uh, You know, end up being more enrolling members needing online courses from larger institutions that have them. Cool.
0: And uh, how is it fitting into their... Uh, curriculum like are they using this instead of a traditional class or, or I'm really ignorant of the whole thing so or, or classes like for summer, summer classes or how does it complement uh, a person normally getting
1: their degree yeah so we've identified about a hundred uh, different use cases and it, it, a reason why St. Edwards for example might book one of their students in another school's courses mm-hmm. in this case Concordia uh, some of it's for athletic eligibility, so if you're missing credit hours to play your sport because you dropped a class or you just didn't sign up for enough credit hours, Okay. Uh, if you are looking to bump up your GPA, for example, because you just failed a class or you're about to fail a class, you can drop it and then get in a, in a, in a substitution, another class. Uh, sometimes the school just doesn't offer the class as often as it's needed to help students progress. So. Small liberal arts institutions have a problem because they only offer required classes every other year, uh, sometimes every third year. UT and the large institutions they have a, the opposite problem. They have the class, but it fills up. So then they might need right. the class to make sure that students can get prog- you know can make progress. Uh, and then yeah, winter and summer are big enrollments for us because a lot of uh, colleges don't offer winter and summer uh, terms. And if you think about. Uh, you know, you just take UT, for example. This is all public knowledge. They gave up uh, $62 million last year in tuition revenue over the summer to another institution. So community colleges around the country yeah. got those enrollments and the students transferred it back. So uh, when okay. you were at UT, did you ever take a class somewhere
0: else at like a community college? No, I didn't, but I knew it was really common, Very especially common. for summer courses. Yeah. yeah. So I know exactly what you're talking about.
1: Yep. So what uh, what happens, you know, 20 years ago when uh, schools created articulation agreements where they were uh, the four year school like UT was interested in getting the two year student to more seamlessly transfer. Yeah. And they articulated courses. Mm -hmm. They didn't think that it could work both ways. And so now students can just as easily go to the two-year school to take a class as they can come from the two-year to the four-year. Yeah, exactly. Huge and unintended consequence, I guess, from, huge, from their right? And if you're going to pay, uh, you know, $1,800 for the course at UT and you can get it for $600 at ACC and it's easier. That's a huge Not, say, deal. not saying it is, but <laughs> hypothetically, let's say that it is. Uh, you know, students are smart. They're going to just go down the street to get the course, especially when it's not being offered uh, by their own institution when they need it. So... We, um, <clears throat> we're an opportunity for schools to recover, uh, you know, those, those terms. Uh, you know, what, what, what is a, a really good use case is the, the small liberal arts institution, even the large public institutions, they don't have online. Mm-hmm. Students drop out with 90 credit hours or more, and they could actually finish their entire degree under their residency requirements, without ever stepping foot back on campus, and a lot of students end up having life events, and they never finish out their degree. Wow, like me? Yeah, like you. <laughs> you could actually finish your degree through our system. That's crazy. Yeah. Uh, that's
0: exactly what happened in my case because basically I got a uh, fifty thousand mm-hmm. dollar check, and uh, from a from a seed investment company. And you know, keep in mind, my whole life my dream career was to be an entrepreneur. I mean, it wasn't even a dream because my parents showed me how practical it was. Like, that's what I was going to, to do. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So when I got a check, my company had, you know, 40 or $50,000 in uh, monthly revenue <laughs> in, in big months. And, uh, I had some full-time employees to take care of.
1: Right. How could you finish <laughs> school at the same time? My last
0: semester, yeah. you know, and I had four classes left. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I well, just we couldn't motivate myself to go to those classes. <laughs> we can get you on our system to finish out that degree. <laughs> That's but, amazing. So it yeah. gets, it be uh, great. I'll I'll advertise it to uh, to my friends that have that same problem. You know, the founder of another uh, another company called Housing Scout. Okay. He uh, he's another Austin awesome entrepreneur. He did the same exact thing last semester of school. He'd been working on his on his startup that was at the time called like. Longhorn Leasing. Yeah. Is what it's yeah. Originally yeah. Called? I know Leasing.
1: Yeah. I know this guy's...
0: So. Yeah, and now he's really, really successful. Um, yeah. Really, a really, really successful. Um,
1: What's his name? Um, the Longhorn Leasing guy. What's his name? Oh gosh, I had a total brain fart right yeah, now. Yeah. Well, I, I was on his podcast, uh, or he and I were on a podcast together. I can't remember. Anyway, uh, what? Is your phone still on? We should. We'll, we'll, have, have, to, look we'll it up. have to edit this because if he sees it, he'll be like, "Wow, this guy's." <laughs> How are Nathan and Zach not remembering my name? <laughs> yeah, we will have to do some some tricky editing. But but that guy had the same exact thing where he, he dropped out yeah. in his last semester. We're still trying to get Michael Dell and Bill Gates to finish out their degree through our, our consortium. <laughs> we'll see. We'll, we'll be happy with Zach Cook, but uh, it'd be great to get Michael Dell to finish out his degree. Awesome. Uh, so that's going to be really useful for a lot of people. That's, that's if an if remember, amazing product. If I remember, you were actually interning with me when you got the investment and decided that you were no longer going to work with us and, and start your, your company? Nah, I don't think was that, that it? No. Okay. It was that. That wasn't it? Okay. It was in that same time enough. zone. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, it wasn't the same
0: time zone. It was, it was, it was a few months later. Was it? Okay. Um, Wow. So that's, and no one else is, is doing that. What's the alternative before you guys came along? Uh, well, know, students
1: problem? can take classes at other institutions as they do today. Yeah. Uh, which, you know, what, what happens today at, at UT or at, uh, St. Edwards is that they find their course somewhere and then they, um, go and get, uh, an application and they apply to, to get into that class and then they, uh, bring back a bunch of forms and get them signed and then they take, they pay the other institution and they take the class and they've got to go and manually request the transcript come back. So that's happening, uh, you know, already academic sharing. We call it academic sharing. Academic sharing is already happening. We just make it seamless. We make it really easy. So the student now gets on our website. Gets to see only pre-approved courses that the institution that's, that has the student uh, selects based on the quality of the course and yeah. the faculty teaching it. And they pay that institution. They pay their home institution, making it even easier for the student. They're, mm-hmm. they're already set up on automatic billing so they don't have to apply. They don't have to set up a whole new billing account. Uh, and then after the class is taken, we, we uh, work to bring the grades and the transcript back through uh, – through the SISs between the, the teaching member system
0: and the enrolling member system. So, so just sure. massively reducing the friction in that entire process is really what the product is. It is yeah. Wow. That's super interesting. That's exactly what, what uh, Texas customer apparel first solved with our software problem. It was that exact same type of problems
1: yep.
0: because they already had group ordering before us. It was called, uh, you know, pass around a sheet of paper yep. at fraternity chapter and have every single person write down you know their want. size right. and if they wanted an extra one for their girlfriend and you know how many of each copy they wanted, stuff like that. Yeah. And mm-hmm. then pass around the sheet of paper. Um, or when they got really sophisticated Google Sheets Google came form. out, right, right. <laughs> they get sent a Google form. Yeah. And then they'd have to collect all that, but the, the t-shirt uh, apparel company that was actually printing it, they wanted one check. <clears throat> right. So then they had to front a check and then they had to go be a bill collector to each person you owe me 24 dollars you owe me 19 yep, yep, and yep. that's the only thing our software did was just remove all the friction yeah and so that sounds like a similar product kind of a loftier scale um okay great well let's talk about some sales and marketing stuff a little bit now that we've got sure. a good background that's a, that's an awesome product i'm glad i really understand what it is now uh it sounds like something that universities would be just signing up for and droves. They'd be, you know, <laughs> excited for you to swing by and write you a check. Yeah, water in the desert. <laughs> water in the desert. So uh, tell me a little bit about your your sales process and how you get those people signed up. I assume you're in charge of that, being VP of growth.
1: Yes, yeah, so I'm really in charge of uh, two areas in business. One is, uh, as I said, recruiting uh, new schools into the platform. Uh, those would be what we call teaching members, the schools that have the open courses and seats and and enrolling members, schools that, uh, pay for those seats. And, you know, like any, uh, two-sided marketplace, we need chicken and eggs, uh, to, for, for it to make, for it to work. The second thing I'm in charge of is just what's the next, uh, product on the platform. And so for me, that was, uh, working through sort of, um, Former products that I envision with my campus to careers days that we never saw off the ground that, that could apply here. So we we added uh we added just just this month we're we're uh, launching a transfer portal. Okay. And I've been responsible for working on the the, the specs and sort of what that will look like. Right. Uh, because you know we already have uh, an enrollment mechanism to move students from the enrolling member to the teaching member. And so we we built out uh, what it would look like to move transfer students from the two year school to the four year school. Oh, okay. And the, cool. the third, which is which is a January release, it's going to be a soft pilot in January. We're going to do it through a lot of uh, manual backend functions until we can learn the process properly and then build uh, automated. Uh, reservation system this is the, the best way to do it. it. Just do
0: it manually at first and get the process down before you build the software. Absolutely. Or your software of your own.
1: Yeah. Yeah. No, absolutely. It is international students. And so what, what I love about what we've built is, is a reservation system. Yeah. I mean, I could use it just like, you know, just like, uh, yeah, your, your app, right? Mm-hmm. You could have used it to do food ordering, right? You could have used it for catering. Right. Right. It All it did was, uh, take an order, split up billing, submit the order track the order, right? Yeah. All ours does is we have institutional profiles. We move data between schools with a billing system. We move grades back. Cool. So I can do the same thing with international students. i can do the same thing with uh, transfer students. So part of my rolling growth is to figure out what's next because we can't stand still, not in, not in higher education. Uh, but the, the big, you know, I would say 80% of my day is focused on um, uh, going direct to schools and uh and and or uh channel partners those are um associations or nonprofits or just even even statewide partners that could bring us to a large number of uh of schools okay and there's no sales staff so it's either yourself
0: uh making the you know sale quote unquote um on the
1: institution signing up you know becoming a partner or it's through one of these channel partners correct correct i'm the only uh, person uh, focused on growth or sales. I do have a colleague, a co founder, who was actually the former VPAA, Vice President of Academic Affairs at St. Edwards. Okay. Uh, who, uh, you know, provides credibility and can uh, help our schools address concerns around uh, faculty. Yeah. Uh, you know, faculty reservations about sharing. Uh, no no faculty wants to share their students they want their students taking their courses right uh, faculty you want to see themselves as as creators not curators uh, of content and coursework so it is um, you know administrators quickly understand the benefits of sharing the revenue benefits the the um, retention and uh, recruitment benefits of having a wider inventory of courses to market to students, right. to, to recruit students, to retain students again. Uh, but faculty who really control the curriculum and control what the students take, the, what they read, when they read it, you know, the syllabi, et cetera. I mean, they're not, uh, especially the ones that were, 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 the courses we're going after. I mean, there's already a, a, a threat uh, to those faculty with maybe humanities being, in, you know, being questioned about what's the future of humanities? Do we need humanities degrees? Do we need English majors? Yeah. Do we need art majors in, in this world? So there's already a, a threat to their jobs, uh, perceived or real, depending upon the situation. And so right. coming in and saying, we're now going to take your students and put them in someone else's class is not the easiest conversation to have. Yeah. And so delicately we need to push um, and address both the administrator needs in the sales cycle as well as the faculty concerns. So, that brings me to one of my other points, so AKA, that's a long and difficult sales cycle. It is, uh, you know, higher education is arguably one of the slowest uh, industries uh, to adopt new technologies and, and trends. Uh, you kind of just see how long it took the LMS, the learning management software, uh, or system to to get uh, adopted across higher education. You know, it, it it's now ubiquitous within higher education, both online and on ground classes use the LMS. But so it is possible to sell them on something. It is possible. It, you know, it took 20 years for it to it to stick, and it was largely driven by student demand. Yeah. Students in the online classes or in, you know, Dr. Smith's class were saying, "Wow, I really like this. Why isn't Dr. Walker using this?" And and slowly. You know, there was, there was peer pressure and there was student demand to, uh, to to use tools that would improve the education system. And what we're seeing that's sort of working in our favor right now is uh, completion rates are so low, retention rates are so low that schools are willing to push past, uh, you know, sort of traditional boundaries and, and um, uh, risk factors, uh, fear factors even to address some of these, uh, these concerns. And, you know, there are programs that cost a lot of money and ours cost zero. There's no upfront cost. Yeah. So that allows us to go in and and say, which doesn't does uh, improve the sales cycle, uh, and allow us to take what, you know, my experience selling to higher ed with campus careers was it could take six months to get a $3,000 check. Uh, I can now do that in one month. I'm not charging them anything, but some of our schools are averaging, you know, we're, we're averaging our, our cut of the, of the revenue, uh, could be, you know, sixty to eighty thousand dollars to $80,000 a year. Yeah. So I have a, a, a quicker sales cycle. It's still longer than I'd like. Right. Right. Uh, there's a, it's a quicker sales cycle cause there's no upfront barrier. Right. And while I'm not getting an immediate check, uh, the, the dollars can end up being much more after we get students to engage. And, um, you know, I think the, the hardest part of the sales cycle, you know, in it's the it's the time, uh, but really it's, the, it's sort of the three stages of the sales cycle. First, I need to sell and get the provost, the CFO, the VP of enrollment, uh, maybe even the president on board, right? right? So it's, 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 you know, in higher ed, I need four or five people to say yes for it to move forward. One person to say no for it to die. That's right? really difficult. So that, that first sales cycle, uh, that first step in the sales cycle is, a real, uh, is really important. That's the leadership, the cabinet. The second is I need to get advisors or the people that will actually be booking the enrollments on board. Because if they don't start promoting this to the students as an option, the athletic directors, the registrar's office, the people that are interacting with the students, if they're not promoting it, then we don't get any enrollments. We get the school to sign up as a member. I can count them towards our 45 members in just over a year, which is a great number in yeah. higher ed. 45 clients in a year. Uh, some of them have zero revenue, right? Because we didn't get the second stage of the sales cycle done or yeah. done right. And that is where the uh, the users uh, would be uh, supporting the the uh, the, the software or the or the enrollment. Uh, and then the third is actually getting the student right, because the um, the advisor may say to the student, "Hey, I want you to take this class." So, you know, we might work with uh, your advisor Zach back in at UT and say, "Hey, we're gonna offer Zach four classes to finish out his degree." Yeah. They might say, "Great, let's do that. Let's go get Zach a UT degree." And then you say, "Yeah, I just I don't want to pay for it. <laughs> right? I'm good. I'm good. Yeah. I'm done. I don't want to pay for it." Or You know, you're already charging me for my uh, block tuition rate of $12,000. Why am I paying extra? Uh, Right. So now I need a third step, which is the most important step, frankly. Right. Will the student pay for it? Or will the student sign up for it? Because sometimes the student doesn't have to pay for it. The school realizes it's a limitation. They pay for it. So ultimately, we have a three-step sales cycle. So not only do we have a long sales cycle because it's higher ed, and even though it's water in a desert, uh, in some cases, you know, there's a lot of – there's a lot of um, concern. Well, what's in that water? Is it high-quality water? Uh, you know, and I'm like, but you're really thirsty. Shouldn't you just, shouldn't you just drink the water? Yeah. Right. Well, what's the impact to the water I used to drink? Well, the water that I that I drink, you know, will this water talk to the water that, that I drink at home. Yeah. Um, and, and tell them that, that, that I, I cheated on their water. Um, so there there's you know there's a number of uh, uh, risk factors. Uh, and the, the big one at the end of the day is like I said, uh, we need to get to the students and schools are not, you know, they're, they're not opening up their, their students for us to market to them. We have a few SMS campaigns going right now, which will which we'll see how well those work. But yeah. all that means is we've been able to show great progress on some of the sales efforts, like uh, 45 schools in just over a year, which is unheard of in higher ed with one person. Uh, on the sales side uh and then you know we're, we've done just over 300 enrollments uh which is you know certainly not enough to uh call a victory and, and be be at break even yet right uh so we still have to go out and raise more money which is a fourth sales cycle uh as you know we're raising money <laughs> yeah the most difficult of all uh, yeah that, that probably in most cases is the most difficult we we got lucky we um uh, not that, not that it was our first, uh, attempt at raising money. We, we've got uh, a lot of people that have done it on the team. Before. Yeah, that's when
0: it's really hard. That's because made it hard for me.
1: Yeah. And we did connect recently with the Southwest Angel Network, SWAN, here in Austin. Uh, they're a national network. They just happen to be base in Austin. They're the only social impact network in the South. Cool. So they only look to invest in, um, energy, education, and, and healthcare. And so we were a finalist about three weeks ago, uh, actually three weeks ago exactly on Tuesday night. Um, three weeks ago we presented and as of now, you know, we're, we're, um, we're, we're finalizing the round. Uh, we, uh, they, they, said we're the largest investment their angel network will ever have made, not necessarily from a dollar amount. We're still waiting to actually get the full, you know, the full total. Okay. Uh, but in terms of the, the most number of angels committing, in fact, they had, uh, five or, or even six angels that join the network after hearing our presentation just to, uh, just to access the, uh, the, you know, the investment. Wow. And uh, so we need to share that uh, slide deck if you can, yeah, <laughs> they got you got know, some, I can do that. Take got some secret numbers or something. No, there's no secret numbers. <laughs> I mean, uh, you know, the numbers are what the numbers are. I've sort of already shared what they are. And, yeah. You know, there's, there's a lot of opportunity to, to improve it. What, what I think is most interesting is that of our almost 300 enrollments or now almost over 300 enrollments depending upon the day, um, 80% of those enrollments come from six schools. So wow. it just goes to show we have 40. Part three of that sales process or whatever, two and three. Yeah, we have 45 one. schools on and uh, six are doing 80% of the, so it's, well, it's actually like more than 80-20. Right? Yeah, it's even more than 80-20 though, Yeah. Right? It's like 90 you know, 90, 10. Yeah. Right. Uh, and part of that is, you know, schools are coming on, um, and we'll be doing winter enrollments. And and so they haven't, they haven't signed up for that yet, or they're coming on with the intent of doing summer and and each school sort of has a vision for how and when they're going to use the inventory. Yeah. And we're just, we're just there to be available to them. Right. Right. Sort of like your Uber app. Right. I mean, you're not committing to using Uber, no. you know, X number of times a year, you're going to use it when you need it. Right. Right. And that's us, right? We're there with a backup inventory. Yeah. Just like Uber's a backup car service, mm-hmm. right? I mean, if you have your own car and sitting in your driveway and there's not a It's not in the shop or you're not in a different city. Yeah. Or Uber. Uber. Yeah. yeah, then you're not using Uber and that's fine with us. I mean, if you have the courses when your students need them, then great. Your, your courses should always be primary. Uh, we're just a backup and, and we we have had to figure out how to position it properly. So that uh, faculty don't feel threatened, uh, but administrators understand the full value and, and opportunity of being part of a, a consortium of colleges. Right. Which is a, a consortium by definition is uh, a collaboration between uh, higher education institutions. There are actually 350 consortiums in America. Yeah. Uh, but, but we're the only ones doing what we're doing, which is the online, you know, a, a technology company facilitating online uh, course exchange. Okay. Um, between
0: institutions. So let me go back and drill down on some of those important sales lessons that were hidden in there because I think, uh, I at least presume since I've marketed it this way, that a lot of my audience will be sales professionals or marketing professionals and they maybe haven't been so successful or they're successful but want to, you know, find ways to improve you know, in their complex B2B sales environment, whether they're, they're the VP of sales for a new startup that's in higher ed, and they need to figure out how to make this complex sale happen. Mm-hmm. And there might be a lot of things that you've just kind of intuitively figured out or something that we can drill down on. Um, or they, uh, you know, whatever, they're, they're the line salesperson that needs to make these kind of complex sales and their similarities with them maybe selling an enterprise software package where they know three people always have to sign on off on it usually there's the cto usually the ceo at least has to sign off and usually there's a x yeah whatever yeah um and so i wanted to point out a few things so one might be i think it's an interesting model for people that are going to be in an environment where it is a long difficult sales cycle like educational or healthcare to look at their business model and try to find a way that works where they have no upfront dollar amount. I thought that was really interesting. Do you think that's been a huge difference for you guys as far as how many customers you can sign up? If you, how much would the drag have been put on that process if they had to start off with paying you guys $2,500 and then they pay the, the percentage or whatever, which is maybe slightly smaller. And a lot of people that are bootstrapping, they're going to think that's the way to go because I'll get more money as I go along. Right. Do you, I'm pretty sure it sounds like you guys think you made the right
1: decision. Um, how much do you think that's, <laughs> that's been a, a factor? Yeah, certainly um, to start out a business, you need to figure out how to give it away, right, to get adoption and traction. Yeah. And make money in another way. Uh, you know, the freemium model is is well understood right uh and it as, usually applies to b2c because yeah. i see it it does uh, you know i think it applies to, to b2b as well yeah uh but you know we don't talk about it as much you don't see it as much because usually it's a much heavier lift to do b2b yeah so i can't give away implementation costs or or onboarding or whatever it whatever the upfront cost is uh you know your your concern rightly so is that you're not going to make it on the back end you know and whatever whatever, um, splits you have, uh, to, to make money, uh, on, um, you know, in this case we make money on, on the enrollment that gets made. Right. So a hotels.com model, Mm -hmm. right. Where we get X percent of every hotel room that's sold. So for us, it was, it was a, it was a, um, it was a sales and marketing decision to offer what we call charter membership. Yeah. Charter membership is where we're not paying. We're not charging dues or any upfront cost. Right. Uh, And we actually chose the word charter membership so that we knew there would be an end. Right. right? You're not, you know, we're no longer have charter membership. In fact, that end uh, will be December 31st of this year. And so we're going to have to come up with something besides charter membership that will indicate that our value isn't yet there to pay full price to get onboarded, Mm -hmm. um, which is $5,000 you know, one-time fee, right. right to get on board And so we might have to come up with something like, uh, you know, some, some other premium benefit to show a cost reduction, right. You're saving $2,500 only paying, you know, $2,500 to get on Yeah. Uh, but now we have enough talking points. We have enough success stories. We have enough, uh, customer testimonials that, that, that at least for the six schools that are using us regularly, they can say, "Well, look, you know, we saved or we made this much money by uh, using the college consortium. So yeah, it's going to cost you twenty five hundred dollars, but you'll 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 net this much just in your first enrollment
0: period." And that's a huge point as far as young companies doing pricing too. Is your pricing doesn't always have to be the same. Duh. You know, <laughs> yeah. you can have a strategy Stages. where you think it's going to. If we reach this level of success and we've got a thousand customers, then, you know, the next 10,000, you know, because we have more features, we're more successful. They'll trust us more. We're providing more value. Yep. Yep. um, You know, we can charge more. And I really like entrepreneurs. I think it shows a great uh, amount of vision and uh, like the, the thoroughness through which they've thought through their entire business model that have these staged plans, which is really what it takes most of the time. You know yeah. the way that you grow from whatever it is, but let's say like zero to one million dollars in annual revenue, from one million to ten million, to ten million to a hundred million, million, from a hundred million to a billion might be different at every
1: single stage. Yeah.
0: Or with whatever Elon Musk's version is, where he was going to come out with the expensive, high-priced car, then he was going to go with the you know if you reach. Create the brand. Right. Create the, the brand, identity. brand. Yeah. And uh, so that's something interesting. Um, I think uh, another thing was how have you been successful in getting that many people to sign off all at the same time? What are the tactical <clears throat> low level, you know, sales activities,
1: uh, right. activities? How have you been doing that? Uh, so what, what we find is that in our space, and uh, in every industry or sales cycle has something similar. There are natural, um, senses of urgency that we're trying to capitalize on. So if you actually were to look at our, um, our, our, um, sign up rate, right. Which is the, the date at which the school signs a member services agreement to be on our platform. You'll see, um, you'll, see some, uh, clustering around certain terms mm-hmm. and terms being periods, uh, in the school year. And the big one was in preparation for summer last year, yep. right. Cause every school, that we went out to understood that they were losing revenue over the summer. And so you just literally just click here instead of, you know, the manual process and you bring money back. Yeah. Right. So I'm going to save you time. I'm going to make you money and all you have to do is sign this document right now. Some schools couldn't even pull that off. Right. Just goes to show you the challenge of, of higher education. Yeah. Um, you know, knowing that they were just giving up money and control, uh, but you know, we, we we saw a lot of enrollment. We saw a lot of um, signups happening around the March timeline yeah. last year because they were trying to get ready to bring on the consortium for summer. Right. Right. Uh, we're starting to see a number of enrollment, a number of uh, signups uh, happening right now uh, through winter. December for Christmas winter. Spring. Yep. Yep. You know, just, just, uh, I mean, give you a sense of, of the volume. We've got, uh, 45 schools on the platform or that are, that are being onboarded right now. Uh, there's like 36 on the platform. We've got another nine that are in onboarding onboarding for us means they're, you know, they're, they're getting trained on how to use it. They're getting wired up to be on ACH, which is a real, a real success story is that when we first started this, um, you know, academic sharing platform. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of the schools said they wanted to mail checks, and we said we're not going to do that. You, yeah. You, you know, you don't have to use us, right? But we're going to say no to checks. You have to use <laughs> say no to checks, kids. You have to you have to use ACH, <laughs> right? I'm not gonna I'm not gonna be uh, tracking down a check that you know one of our teaching members is, is is owed from an enrolling member and get in the middle of that. We're gonna control the sales cycle and the and the uh, or the the payment cycle. Yeah. Um so you know, that's actually one of the one of the barriers to enrollments is that I've got schools that signed up, they're that they, you know they're they're excited about it, but we still haven't been able to wire them up to the ACH because yeah. of you know the, the CFO or some the controller who's who's still sort of getting comfortable with it. So, you know, to give you a sense of how busy our cycle ends up being is that right now I've got nineteen schools in contracting. Yeah. That means nineteen schools are they, they requested a member services agreement. They requested a contract. Yeah. And a lot of that is to, to move uh, enrollments and, and try and make money over, over winter break. Yeah. And a lot of our schools don't have winter terms. So this is just a, a brand new revenue stream for those schools to charge their students for a winter term that the students may need and are being told previously to go out and find those courses somewhere else. Okay. And, and making it
0: really, really basic. Um, so... I- I hear what you're saying and and, uh, that natural sense of urgency is something you want to take advantage of so uh, you can get all the decision makers to hear you out. But still, you know, even on the most basic level, um, how do you uh, how do you make sure that one of them doesn't doesn't say no? Do you try to get them all in the same room at the same time or at the beginning of the of the sale to that that potential customer? Do you ask discovery <laughs> questions basically like not to be too technical, but you know, as far as like who else, you know, has to sign off on, on this, you know, yeah, if that sounds, yeah. if that sounds good to you, you like this, this, and this in the meeting, but you're like, who else would need
1: to approve this for the sale to happen? Do you have some sort of question like that? Yeah. Or, some leading questions, uh, or, uh, qualifying questions. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I will say that, you know, in, in prior careers, uh, that mattered a lot. Yeah. You know, knowing that there was one decision maker, uh, or gatekeeper, uh, or one champion that you're trying to engage, you know, in the process, uh, in this space, it's a little harder because I need everybody to sign up. Right. I need the registrar. I need the finance. I need even IT to sign up. Right. right? Yeah. Cause they're, they're giving us data that we need. Um, and it, it is the, it is, like I said, it's one of the harder parts of the sales cycle. Uh, now at the end of the day there's still a hierarchy within higher ed and we work that hierarchy. right But I think where, where, we, where we have success is not only finding the urgency uh, within institutions, but you know, usually there's someone in the room while we're um, going through the initial presentation and, and talking to them about academic sharing that gives you some indication as to why it would help them. Yeah. Uh, and, and hopefully it's multiple people right. indicating that the registrar can talk about the fact that they have, uh, you know, they, they get a hundred manual uh, forms, paper, you know, paper forms requesting transfer courses on their desk that they then have to review the syllabi or the, the course description and, you know, do it all manually and say, okay, we'll go get this approval. I'll go get that approval. Yeah. So the registrar, it's time savings. Yeah. Right. For the dean, it's a higher quality course. For the CFO, it's more money. So at the end of the day, we're, we're hearing and we do need to do a better job of listening. Yeah. Right. But we present what we're doing and then we say, what do you think? How does this relate to goals here at the institution? Yeah. Um, how does this relate to your, you know, maybe some, some pain points you're experiencing? And then we just sort of go back to that over and over and over again. Yeah. Right? Which is what I heard from you is that you could use academic sharing here for this reason. Yeah. Now if I if I'm wrong, that's fine. You know, you don't need to meet with us again. Yeah. But if this is a problem that you want to solve, we could solve it there's no upfront cost and you could actually solve it tomorrow. Yeah. You know, schools that don't have online are are are, are struggling. Yeah. And they're going to have to make a big investment, you know, like a 7-figure dollar investment. To do online, yeah. Any other way, or you could just share, <laughs> right? So, <laughs> yeah. so part of it is just understanding, you know, reminding them that they that they told us this was a pain point, sort of, you know, referring to it, and then just presenting them with the alternative options, which is what you have today, yeah. which you told us didn't work, yeah. Or going out and spending a million dollars or more in in two years of your time to build out your own online.
0: And then if there's five decision-makers, how many do you really have to see their lights go off in their eyes, or like for them to get really enthusiastic for you to make the sale? Is one just enough? Or maybe if that person's really charismatic or the, the leader or the president of the organization, or do you have to try and convince everyone? What happens in a sales situation where you get one person that's really excited about it, but the rest aren't signed on? Signed on?
1: Yeah, yeah, I'll tell you a funny story. Um, you know, in a, in higher ed, uh, there's not the hierarchy that you're used to in corporate America where the CEO says jump and, you know, whoever's underneath them, which is everybody says (laughs) how high. Uh, so we were in a, in a school in North Carolina, uh, the president had, uh, we were like 15 people in a room. Um, the president said, uh, I'm introducing you guys to the college consortium. This is important for us to survive, to thrive. You know, we, we, we know that, uh, this is needed. Mm -hmm. Uh, I want to make sure this gets implemented and, uh, appreciate you taking time out today. He walked out, we did our presentation and, uh, the registrar and this guy in billing who actually said, (laughs) it's going to be a lot of work to add a new bill code. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Which, by the way, if you're a programmer or you know to add, you know, I mean, you're, you're a finance person, you know, it's like, okay, it's about five minutes to set up a bill code. <laughs> yeah, maybe 15. you're really slow. Yeah, I mean, that, that killed the whole conversation. These two people who are well below the president actually through such, um, so many roadblocks. Uh, that was nine months ago. They still haven't signed up. There you go. That's with the president saying, this is something we have to do. In Man, private companies, that can happen too, though it's just a little bit more
0: subtle. They're kind of doing like sabotage, or dragging and, their feet, yeah. or something like that, you know?
1: Yeah. So. Uh, and that's actually that's, a good that's what the registrar said. This is great. We love this. We're just not going to be able to do it right now. And then when we came back, yeah, be, oh, this is great. We're just not going to do that right now. I'm really busy. Uh, how about now? No, no, we we like you guys a lot. Yeah. Um, we're just not going to be able to do that right now. And you know, I'd rather get a quick no then than a forever, maybe. Yeah. Um, and you know, there's still two or three people at that institution that are championing, championing this. And I, I put them on the do not call list for right now. And when they call me, uh, you know, I, I re-engage and, yeah. um, they called not long ago. And, um, there's, uh, a, a new, uh, a new, uh, cabinet member who has picked this up as it's something they want to see implemented. And so I'm, I'm hopeful that we'll be able to finally convert them. But, uh, you know, it is it is tough to get everybody to agree. And what, what we want to do is just neutralize people. Yeah. Right. And if we can neutralize the majority of the people that will be the doers. Yeah. Right. Which is the registrar IT finance and get the provost or the president or the VP of admissions to become champions. Then this thing takes off. And you think it would be a powerful idea to
0: think about, okay, they're in a similar sales situation where, like, one person is is the most important person for them to convince, but a few other people have to help in, implement it? Mm-hmm. It would be important for them to think about how they explain the benefits not only to the main decision maker, but, you know, make uh, – the benefits obvious to everyone else as well and yeah, really getting speed them Those up.
1: champions and and um
0: well and really think about how it helps to register, how it helps a billing person, whatever it is in their situation, you need to try to think about how your product's gonna help everyone and have like messaging yeah. and think about how it's gonna help every single person. Yeah, you know?
1: yeah. I mean I think that we <clears throat> first off it's not possible. Yeah, uh, our product doesn't help everybody. Yeah, uh, and it does provide extra work in some cases for for two of the four departments. Got it. Got um, numerous. so what we're trying to do is just neutralize them and 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 uh reduce the the threat of time commitment or of extra work or of just the unknown for them. Yeah, uh, I will say that um one of our early uh members, this was even before they were a member, one of our early conversations, the, uh, the provost actually at Concordia at the time, Yeah. he said, uh, what I need Nathan to get buy-in on this is how it works. And me being the tech guy, uh, even though, you know, I'm, I'm the sales guy, I mean, it being the, being the, having the tech background, Yeah. my comment was you, you click the button. Yeah. He's like, no, no. Like, how does it work? Like, what does my registrar have to do? Just click the button. What does my IT have to do? They need to upload the data, right? And he's like, okay, great. Like, I need step by step, right? So like, you all prepare something like that. Yeah. So what we did That's about here. six months ago, and now we make this part of the sales cycle. Yeah. Is we talk about in our first presentation that we have a how-to guide. Yeah. And the how-to guide addresses your concerns. Great question IT, great question registrar, great question finance, even though I've heard it a hundred times, great question. But then it makes it feel like that they're heard and that, you know, you understand that they're going to have to help implement it. And we have a sophistication about it. Yeah. That, you know, this is this is tried and tested, this is how it's done. Yeah. You know, now we could talk about how you guys might do it differently. Even though to you it seems silly, like when I'm teaching someone else how
0: to use <laughs> like software or something, sometimes it seems blaringly obvious to me as right. well, but... You know, putting yourself in, in their shoes, you know, they might not be tech savvy in the first place, to be honest, but even more importantly, they've never seen this before. Yeah. And they're not going to be willing to put that much
1: mental energy into it. So Correct. having everything just... <clears throat> more, more, more than that even, Zach, you know, having spent years trying to implement Campus to Careers, which was a, um, you know, a, a uh, lengthy process because the data and the training that it took... Right. Yeah. Which is, which is a student system. Yeah. Right. I mean, when you're dealing with, you know, a million students, that's a very different type of implementation than when you're dealing with five administrators right. that are going to use the, the product. Yeah. Right. So, um, you know, quite frankly, we just had to change their orientation a little bit because when they hear new software, yeah, they think, Oh my God, this is a lot of work. And, <laughs> You know, I need to get copyrights and, you know, um, you know, I need to install. I mean, we, we, literally people ask us, do I need to install that on the OS? You know, it's web-based. Yeah. Okay, but do I have to download it? It's web-based. <laughs> no. It's a, you know, so it's, it's like, it, it's, it's just sort of meeting them where they are. Yeah. And saying, I know you're concerned. Yeah. Usually when you implement something new at your institution, a new software, I know that's a lot of work for you, IT. Yeah. By the way, there's a way to do this where you're not even involved. Yeah. IT. You're not even involved except you're just maybe reviewing the tech specs to make sure you're comfortable with the, the web application. Yeah. Registrar. Uh, you might not believe this, but I can introduce you to 20 registrars that will tell you that are using the platform today and this is actually going to save you time. Okay. I know you're concerned, but I promise you it will save you time. Finance. I know it's a little more work up front because you've got to set a billing code and you gotta come up with a new price, but this is why you this is why we're here. We're yeah. here because you want to generate new revenue. Right. Uh, deans. You know, you're right now reviewing a lot of uh, syllabi that students bring from all around the all, anywhere. Yeah. You know, what if you got to approve the ones that you know in advance that you wanted to promote to your students that you know were the highest quality? Right? So it's almost going around the room uh and and through the presentation, our first introduction presentation yeah we sort of address what we know will be the concerns in the room to neutralize them before they bring them up before they it's bring it up or or elicit them, them, yeah, them yeah elicit they elicit them bringing it up yeah. so we can address it knowing that they're going to bring it up and that they're so going to be, it be it. an objection later at the very end which is just right. like, a total death Now. yeah yeah uh, a friend of ours you might even remember this uh he said that sales is is uh, a long hallway and you just got to walk faster than the person ahead of you know that that you're selling to uh and just close every door. <laughs> you know and it's really it's, I've this, never heard that way. You know, like That's a great way to say Yeah well I thought I thought uh I thought you he's were a friend as he a secret like um we don't, don't remember his name again <laughs> a very good friend. A very good friend. <laughs> oh man It is the day before Thanksgiving really and, and it is uh uh it will come to me oh it's so funny that yeah uh, and uh, you know what he, what he what he would describe was you that know is you're a good way of putting it though. You're leading them through the room yeah through the hallway and on every side of use a door an exit <laughs> of the sales cycle yeah and your job is just to walk ahead of them a little bit leading them through the cycle and closing every door every exit that's an amazing <laughs> metaphor um, honestly
0: it didn't feel so much like that yeah um Wow, that was super valuable. Okay, so I think there's a lot to be gleaned from that. If you're in a situation where it's a complex B to B sale, I would go back and listen back. Maybe we didn't explain it perfectly, or how it relates to your situation. But I think you can come up with the similarities, and it's obvious from from Nathan's success that, or it's obvious that Nathan's been really successful at it. So um, I think my key takeaways it would be that you know if it's a If it's a complex sale where you know multiple people are going to sign off, find out why each person uh, wants to sign off or at least how to address their concerns Mm -hmm. and meet those properly. And uh, if there's a customer success part of it, take some responsibility for that as a salesperson at the very beginning of the sales process. Even if your company has it split up, we're like, oh, we've got a little customer success department. (laughs) It's how you tee up the situation. And if not, just handle it yourself.
1: Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. No, uh, success stories are always, are always the best way stories in general are always the best way to sell and, uh, neutralizing the people in the room that are going to be, uh, you know, ch- that are going to challenge the, the program or the, or the product. Uh, and then obviously, um, empowering the people that are going to be the decision makers by just repeating their needs around your product back to you is I think the only way to um, to do what is a, a long sales cycle or one that requires multiple decision makers or buyers. Okay. That's fantastic. I want to get to one more thing, which is uh,
0: something we were supposed to talk about, which is channel partnerships.
1: Yeah. yeah. So
0: why do you think those are, uh, are so important? Have you guys been getting a lot of your sales from channel partnerships? Do you really see that as the future for, for growing the, the ma-
1: amount of universities that are on your platform and in- therefore the revenue? Yeah, I would say, uh, all but three of our schools came through channel partners directly or indirectly. Uh, and I, I say that because so 45 schools, <laughs> 42 came from channel partners and, you know, take the channel partner here in Texas. It's the, uh, independent colleges and universities of Texas. I cut they're based here in Austin. Now yeah. I knew a lot of the presidents of these colleges even before, the partnership with iCut was more or less solidified. Yeah. But uh, you know, they're still being bucketed under that iCut uh channel partnership because we're seeing that even though we were able to get Concordia to sign up with us because of my relationship with the president, they weren't really ready to start using us until they knew that other iCut schools and that iCut itself had endorsed our our partnership, had endorsed our effort. And that's it's a trust factor. Um, so, you know, for me, what you know, I don't I don't know when the word channel partner uh came into uh you know existence or or, or um or or uh Canons yeah, of the lexicon kind of. Yeah, the lexicon, that's the word I was looking for. Uh you know, I, I do know that it uh it's increasingly popular that you see VPs of partnerships as part of the sales organization. Yeah. And uh th- I know a lot of companies here in Austin and even even more broadly around the country that are looking to do more and more of their sales through channel partners. And I think what, what makes channel partnerships make sense yeah. is that there are um, problems that we're solving together right throughout to through the partnership. Yeah. And so uh, I encourage anyone to go out and figure out what associations, organizations, nonprofits uh, that exist out there, That have a ready built market with whether it's a newsletter or a conference or something, right? A a vehicle to an audience that you're trying to go after. Yeah. And figure out whether it's through a a joint revenue share or royalty, uh, even through what, you know, we traditionally think of just sponsorships. Yeah. But our partnership with ICUT started as a sponsor, right? We had lunch with the president Mm -hmm. of ICUT told him what we were doing. And he said, look, I don't, I don't know if this is going to be of interest to my members, but if you guys want to sponsor lunch, we'll find out. And so, (laughs) you know, we sponsored lunch and the 12 presidents that were at the lunch, which is his board, uh, he gave us 15 minutes, which was an expensive sponsorship for 15 minutes. (laughs) Uh, and we, we were there an hour and a half. He said, I'm going to give you 15 minutes, but I'm not going to shut off the conversation. And he said, I'm in like this, this, no, none of our prior topics went this long. And there was clear interest that this was an area that our presidents want to learn more about. That's awesome. So how do we partner? What does that look like? Yeah. And I said, I have no idea. Like we're, we just just wanted to kind of field <laughs> test it. I'm now going to go to these 12 presidents and try and sign them up. I wasn't thinking initially that this was going to be so much more. And now we've got six statewide partners. Right. And we just partnered with the national association of statewide associations, which is 36 statewide partners. So I believe that 80% of our revenue will come in through, uh, these, these, uh, affiliate partners, these channel partners. And really what it takes is just like you're understanding what, um, the buyer in this case, you know, it's, it's the, the people in the room, uh, at the institution are looking at to, to, to get from your, uh, product. Yeah. Now it's understanding the limitations of one other organ or multiple other organizations, um, that have your, your marketplace, uh, where, where their limitations are and trying to build a product or, um, or build a solution around your product, uh, for those needs. And so, you know, without really intending to the bulk of our revenue from campus to careers came in through channel partners. Yeah. And so I knew that this was a, a model that we were going to pursue pretty quickly, but I didn't realize that within three months we have our first channel partner signed up that led to five additional channel partners, other state associations. And, you know, we just partnered with uh, uh, a group called Indie EDU out of uh, Houston, which is a, a bunch of former um, executives in, in, in publishing that made a lot of sales. Uh, and they will work with small and small startups, uh, that want to get their word out to more schools. And so, you know, I do believe that these types of, and they're a channel partner on a different end, you know, where they're, they're literally just being paid on a revenue, on a revenue share. So I have zero upfront cost. Yeah. Now they're going to be very selective about what partners and products they go after. Yeah. Uh, but you know, they've already brought five schools to us. Wow, that's so interesting. And and channel partners is something that almost
0: never even crosses my mind. You know, when I'm thinking about growing revenue for a company, I'm usually thinking about, um, you know, like, well, it depends on the price point. But my price points have always been the point where it makes sense to have a salesperson. Or at least not just have it be like, you know, it's $4 a month. So you've got to capture them with like online
1: advertising and stuff.
0: Right. So I'm always thinking about how to train the salespeople, you know, teach them how to do prospecting, get them in front of potential customers, all that stuff's all great stuff. But something to look out for, too, is this opportunity for your company to do a channel <laughs> partnership. And you might be running a business right now that has no channel partners whatsoever, that if you just poked your head up and looked around um, for who could potentially be a channel partner, um, it might be, you know, a huge untapped way for you to grow. Your company's revenue and grow the amount of customers that you have. What are some of the flags that you might uh, be in a situation where you could utilize a, a channel partner? It's kind of case by case, I guess, because you know, your higher
1: EDU thing, it seems to be making perfect sense. Yeah. Inside EDU. Yeah. I mean, I will say that, um, you know, we've had, a, we've had not as many, but we've had a number of uh, failed partnerships as well. Yeah. Right. So you're not going to hit a home run on every relationship. For sure. Uh, our very first Partnership was with um, a group that uh, were former, uh, you know, they were retired administrators in higher education. They had a great Rolodex and they flew down to meet with us. We signed a partnership. They were going to get a, a hefty uh, royalty on every enrollment that got made through the schools they brought us. Sort of no brainer. Yeah. And they never made a single call, a single introduction, right? Their Rolodex was huge. They could have easily just hit send <laughs> on an email introducing us. And that was it. And I kept reminding them that like the reason why we're working with you is you have the Rolodex, you just have to hit send on an email. Um, but whatever reason it didn't work out. And after six months of me, you know, sort of, uh, pushing and prodding them to follow through, I canceled the agreement. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I've had two others that didn't, didn't materialize. And, you know, I, I think the, the, the real key is to just figure out is there alignment between your goals to reach a new market and uh, a third party, right? And another entity that already has that market. And, you know, revenue sharing is sort of the easy thing to do. Right. Sponsoring something is sort of the easy thing to do, but that doesn't often bear the fruit because it's not significant for either party. Yeah. So what we try to do is when we work with these state associations, we're actually trying to understand what they're, what, what their mission is to their members and how we can accomplish it. And so if it's more than just for us, it's gotta be more than just new revenue for the association. Yeah. Get alignment on, on the mission, on the mission. So for example, when we first met the president of ICUT, he shared with us that, um, their lobbying efforts had taken a, a hit, uh, because the legislature had done some pretty deep cuts to the funding available. Yeah. And he had to now go back to his members and say, I'm giving you less. You're paying me the same, yeah. but I'm bringing you back less. So it was just the perfect timing to go in and say, do you want to offer them a cherry on top? Yeah. Right? Do you want to offer them something else that will sort of soften the blow yeah. that you're going back with less? And so what he said was in our very first lunch, I need to grow my member services efforts to counterbalance the fact that lobbying which is our third you know one of our three legs of the stool yeah is uh you know is, is not as strong um so you know we then used that with uh two or three other state associations we're keeping tabs on what's going on in the states um so for example in north in new york um, there's threat to the private independent colleges, which is not our only members, but it's it's where we're having the most success mm-hmm. uh, with uh, free education uh, to the publics. All right, like how I how to program. <clears throat> yeah. And so, you know, the state of New York, the privates in New York are freaking out and they're they're and, and the state association is trying to figure out how to go back to them with something that will quell concerns and you know, offer some innovation. And Illinois was our second state. They had no budget if you remember. So the private independent colleges were really struggling. And so we came in with the association and said, Hey, I know you're struggling cause there's no budget. Let's talk about sharing as a way to survive, uh, through these leaner times. Um, so it was just identifying the, the needs of those, um, of those associations and how we could support them and, and, um, that that's really what you know. I think the the easy answer is to find a, a an organization that wants that, that believes in what you're doing, or you can develop a relationship and some trust if you already have it, and offer revenue share. But but those those won't produce the same outcomes. Yeah. As strategically aligning your mission. Yeah. However, and so you can do that. it's
0: it sounds weird, but I think that the way you might get the most motivated partners is actually the ones that. Uh, wouldn't even want a revenue share. They're just trying to solve the problem that you're solving.
1: Absolutely. That's where it'll be like a partnership, you know, yeah. on, a, on crack
0: or whatever you want to call it. If yeah. And, and I could, uh,
1: to, to, to prove that I cut's not on a revenue share with us. Yeah. I mean, we are a consistent sponsor because they ask us to sponsor uh, In that regard. You know, we are, we are in a, you know, in, in that model, but other associations are in a revenue share with us. Yeah. Uh, just to give you a sense that, you know, we started our relationship with iCut, uh, under a different premise. Cool. Well, that's a huge,
0: huge takeaway for people. And I think everyone should, you know, look at their business and, uh, and see if a channel partnership would make sense for them or their startup or go talk to their VP about it. Like, why don't we have this, you know, or, uh, or a business owner? Just think about how you might be able to leverage that. I don't think it's a hundred percent of, uh, of companies have, have that sort of thing that would make sense for them, but more than people would think.
1: Yeah. And it's about trust. I mean, at the end of the day, I knew a lot of the folks within the iCut schools, but, um, you know, we were still a brand new company yeah, and we were a brand new program that had never existed before. So the endorsement from the state association, uh, not only gave us new contacts and, and visibility, uh, at their conferences to talk informally and informally and, and yeah. about what we're doing, but. But it gave us the trust factor that that was critical to the schools that went back to their um, their departments, right? The yeah. registrar of the finance and IT and say, you know, I know you're concerned, but, you know, look at all these other schools that are doing this. Like, we're going to be left behind if we don't sign up. And so use them as a way to get credibility. Credibility. Number Me one too. thing. Number one thing is credibility.
0: Okay. Well, you proved your credibility as uh, being a good <laughs> podcast guest, and uh, I can't say enough how appreciative I am that, uh, that you came on and did it. Hopefully I'm getting slightly better at <laughs> doing the interviews. That uh, so was great, so, as always. Um, thanks a lot, man. Yeah, I appreciate it.